This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 207. Hey guys, before I get into this podcast, I just wanted to say that if you've been listening lately, I want to thank you so much. I love recording these episodes for you and my wishes that you're getting some benefit from the information that I'm sharing each week. And I hope that you feel that you're getting some entertainment from the guests that I have and value as well. My favorite podcasts are the ones where I can learn something and also feel a bit entertained, and I hope you feel the same. So reach out, let me know how you are loving these podcasts and the guests that you like and the interviews that you want to hear, and I will be happy to oblige. I know that I've been doing a lot of interviews lately, and I'm trying to get them out for the people that want to be on the podcast. I've not done anything yet about planning for your big goals for the new year. So I'm going to hopefully soon record some of those podcasts so we can get start started together, um, getting you on the way to your goals for 2023. I'm not a big fan of the resolution idea. However, I know that when we get to the new year, that's something that we just think about. And so it's a good time to start in on that. So I'm going to do some um, episodes soon, hopefully in early January, about getting going on your goals and how to change bad habits and things like that. Um, And I'm going to try to get as many of these interviews that I've been recording out um, because they're piling up. So I may be releasing a few extra episodes. But So thanks for listening. And if you need anything, reach out to me. I would be happy to get you on my coaching schedule for 2023. So this podcast is going to be an interview with Dr. Jeff Rothstein, and I'm going to read his bio because it's long and there's a lot to it. And on the podcast, I didn't really do it justice. So um, before we get to interviewing Jeff, here's his bio. He is the founder and co-president of Mission Veterinary Partners, which currently operates over 320 veterinary practices in 35 plus states. He bought his first veterinary practice within one year of graduating veterinary school, and from that, built it into a multi-hospital network. The Progressive Pet Animal Hospitals, which he merged into Mission Veterinary Partners, in 2017. He's a longtime contributor to practice management journals and other publications. He has over 100 articles to his credit. He served on the advisory boards of Veterinary Economics and Veterinary Practice News, and he currently serves on the board of directors of MVP and the Professional Animal Wellness Group, PAW and is on the advisory board of Snout Incorporated. So that's a lot. And when you hear him on the podcast, you'll see that he is a lovely veterinarian and very cool guy. And um, I hope you enjoy our interview that we had together. So let's get into this podcast. 
Hey, veterinary friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have an exciting guest, somebody that I've known for a lot of years. It's Dr. Jeff Rothstein. He is a DVM and an MBA, and he is a founder and co-president of Mission Veterinary Partners. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. I'm really excited to have you. Yes, thanks for having me. It's been uh, a long time coming, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, doing this for a few years. I'm surprised I haven't had you on before this. Yeah, well, I'm excited to join you here this this morning. I think we're separated maybe by, you know, 40 or 50 miles, but we're certainly in the same state here in Michigan. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm so excited for you to share your veterinary story because you have a great one. You've done a lot of things in vet med. Yeah. I, so well, can you start with that? Kind of just tell us, tell us your vet med story. Sure. Hopefully it will be uh, an interesting one with a few uh, uh, curves along the way here. Yeah. Uh, they're a long and winding, winding road. And I think it <laughs> yeah, was, it's not typical, right? Yeah. Um, so as we were just talking, I came back from Colorado State in 1994, and I was doing these presentations, and I enjoyed being able to put up my, going back to my 25th class reunion in Fort Collins, um, and now that's a little outdated. So we're going on, you know, close to uh, almost 30 years since graduating. Yeah. And, um, and so I don't know, we may have, I'm a 94 graduate, and I'm not sure, um, I might have preceded you by a little bit, but you know we've been practicing here in the general vicinity for a long time, and um, I was excited to come back to Michigan, um, where I did a little bit of my undergraduate here in Ann Arbor, where I'm sitting this this afternoon, um, and uh, ended up coming back here because my wife had a family business in town. So Sibley Shoes, it was a large chain of uh, independent shoe stores. Oh, so that's what, that. yeah, yep, was the largest chain of independent shoe stores in the country for awesome. some time with about 30 or 40 locations. So we came back here kind of for her, but um, the Colorado State was kind of my, my dream school, grew up in Vermont, and so it was a place that, you know, I certainly felt really comfortable going to, and I was a little bit uh, strange in the sense that I ended up doing um, a joint MBA with my veterinary degree. And like side by side? Yes. So call, yep. That's a uh, lot of work. You know, once you're a professional student, I don't know. It was, <laughs> um, it became actually a nice outlet. I mean, I love my veterinary people, but it was really fun, you know, having a little diversion. And I think, you know, most of us, um, veterinary nerds tend to overstudy too much anyway, so just throwing another class or two into the mix was not, um, you know, really didn't end up phasing me too much. So why did you want to do an MBA? Like, were you always interested in business or it was because your wife um, was business or why did, why did you want to do that while you're in vet school? It's a, um, a great question. I think um, for me, while I really liked um, veterinary medicine intellectually, my dad was in the medical field and I kind of grew up a country boy. So I actually moved to Michigan in the middle of high school and all my buddies wanted to go to medical school. 
And a lot of them came here to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor Arbor, and um, ended up getting weeded out (laughs) in that first (laughs) year or two. And so um, I had um, this momentum to, I guess, go to medical school, but I was like, I got to do something different than all my high school buddies. (laughs) Um, So it was the desire to to stand out a little bit, huh, and do something um, different? Well, I think what ended up actually getting me um, on on the veterinary track, I know there's a heck of a lot of people that you get this question, did you always know you wanted to be a veterinarian? Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I wasn't one of those that knew from day one that that's what I wanted to do. I had this interest in medicine and sciences and my freshman year at University of Michigan, I had a work study program and worked in a um, medical research lab for mm. Dr. Stanislaw Pasek. He was an exiled oh, wow. cardi- That's a name. Yeah, he was an exiled um, cardiologist from Poland. Wow. And so, um, but he had been a, a kind of a big shot cardiologist and researcher. So he couldn't practice uh, medicine at, at the time that I was working with him. He was doing strictly research. And my job was to be in charge of the research dogs. So I had this, um, you know, in the back of my mind, it was like, oh, I've got to find a way to rehome these, <laughs> these dogs. And so I ended up working with the lab animal veterinarians at University of Michigan. And they had a, they still do have a fabulous uh, residency program and so on. And that's when Pfizer was here in town as well. Um, so I just really got interested in veterinary medicine at that point. And so that's kind of the point in time that I um, really started focusing on it. And uh, ultimately going to veterinary school um, was something where when I really looked at it closely, um, there were a lot of people who were like, I thought I turned that phone off. Um, there were a lot of people who were like, it doesn't make sense financially. And so I go back to that a lot of times when I do presentations. And you stuff. showed them, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, but that interest in um, the business part was really how do we come up with business solutions for the profession? Yeah. Um, actually an interesting um thing that probably a lot of people don't know if you were going to ask me tell me something that you know yeah, uh, nobody knows it. about you is i actually went to veterinary school for a year um and i it was a time and i had these great articles from veterinary economics back in the early 1990s about unhappy associates and the low salaries and so on and um, I went for a year and then it was like, you know, I like this, but, you know, I don't like the compensation part of it, you know, mm. just being, you know, honest about it. Right. Um, and so I actually went and um, I took a leave of absence, went and worked on Wall Street for a couple of years. Oh, um, that's fascinating. Yeah. So I had my marketing pitch to the Wall Street guys was, um, about you know bulls and beers <laughs> and so it ended up that I um, landed a really great job um, with a small Wall Street firm and we ended up being the number one money manager we did both brokerage and money managing in 1987 
um, oh. when the market crashed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was bad then, right? Monday, yeah. Um, and we were focused in cable and cellular phones. And so I had this great opportunity at that point um, to um, have a really good trading career and, and working for this, this top firm that was very small. And it just wasn't very gratifying. Yeah. So you, so you had this like idea that the veterinary medicine would be better than being um, on the street. Well, what I ended up doing is I saw a lot of um, young uh, guys and, and ladies that at like 27 and 28 back in 1987 that were making like two, three $300,000. I mean, lots of, a money. Lot of money. It yeah. was the roaring times. Right. And so uh, but a lot of those guys, after the crash of the market, ended up um, probably never, you know, uh, a lot of them lost their jobs and probably were never going <laughs> to, you know, make those types of dollars again. But it basically came down um, with with this firm is what do you want to do? And, and so I kind of walked away from it. I called up Colorado State and said, you know, I think what I'd really like to do, I love veterinary medicine. Um, but I think there's a lot of really good business opportunities and, and some solutions for the profession. And so they said, sure, come on back. And, oh, uh, that's awesome. and they were a very proactive school. So we had a tracking program. Um, mm -hmm. So they basically said, hey, if you don't want to do large animal, or you don't want to do small animal, you don't need to do that. Go take mm -hmm. a French class or a history class, diversify yourself, be different. Well, the business school was right across the street. And so I was able to um, join the program there and do a joint program. Um, I actually graduated with my MBA in the uh, December of 93 and my MBA in May of 94. <laughs> oh, your um, MBA and then your DBM. So yeah, I did them yeah. kind of contiguously. The interesting thing was, you know, we always say, you know, C equals DVM or C equals MD. Well, in the business school, you had to have a B average or better. And so, oh. uh, so the funny part of it is I had to do, you know, uh, better in veterinary school because of the business school part of it. <laughs> to keep your average up, huh? Yes. Um, but I really enjoyed that. And um, now I think a number of schools have joined um, MBA DVM programs, but I really like the support that um, Colorado State gave me. And the other great thing was at that time, um, you maxed out your tuition after like 16 credits. So um, I got my MBA for free. Oh, that's even better. Yeah, I don't think they do that, that now. But... <laughs> today. No, that would not happen today. Wow. Um, so it was... Um, I mean, it was kind of formative for me in terms of I really had this interest in what do we do, um, you know, a little bit differently, you know, in the profession. Some of it was, um, you know, and I spent some time in veterinary hospitals. A lot of them were a little dysfunctional. So one goal was how do we run hospitals so that um, the medical team can focus on medicine and that we can run run it as a business and you know run it professionally. So um, that was a you know huge interest for me, and I also um, was very interested in multi practice ownership and management, uh, and saw a lot of solutions um, 
to some of the problems I saw in the profession. And a lot of it was um, this compensation piece, which, um, you know, I guess, you know, we're not shy about saying that in the profession, but the reality is I think it keeps a lot of people, um, you know, out of the profession. Yeah, uh, and we still haven't uh, fixed it, right? In a lot of ways. I mean, it's a whole lot we, better, but it's yes, still so something here, we need to work on. Yeah, so here's the um, my thesis um, for my MBA and the Dean was my, my mentor and on my committee, was really about the supply and demand of um, veterinary services. And he came in, in my presentations, I have a picture of uh, Dean James Voss. He came in the first day of school and said, there'll always be room for another good vet. So when we came out of school, and I, I don't know, what year did you graduate? Um, from Michigan State in 88. Okay. So, so I have a, a little gap there because I came and then I um, went I into business, did the business thing for a little bit. Yep. I also got into Colorado State. I think they took two out of state students. So I got in as an out of state student. And even then it was like I don't know, 20 um, plus thousand per year. So I said, you know, hey, how about if I come out there for a year? and work and gain in state and they said sure you can do that you'll <clears throat> you'll have to reapply but they said if you got in as an out-of-state student you you know you shouldn't have a problem getting in as an in-state student oh, so i rolled the dice and um, moved out there had a really great time had a job in the veterinary school and uh, at a veterinary clinic um, lived in an agriculture fraternity and so had a really great year out there, reapplied, got in. And so, like I said, it's kind of a long and winding road. Yeah, um, but, but it's, it was... it's fascinating because I think that, you know, a lot of the veterinarians I talk to, they're really focused on just vet med. Like I always had an interest in business, but I never like in my wildest dreams thought that I could do both at the same time until I got, you know, started, bought my practice and started to become a business owner. But it's just good to hear that that's a path that somebody that's really business focused can take like you did. And you've really changed the profession a lot in our area and in all areas. Um, I think with the idea of multi-practice ownership, um, that was kind of a, you know, um, unusual interest at the time. I, right. One of the reasons, ultimately, um, I loved veterinary school. I loved the business school. Um, I think my fellow students thought I was a little bit odd, but you know, <laughs> I was just a little different. Well, sometimes but, it's good to be the odd guy, right? Like yeah. those are the people that really think differently. Um, so, but yeah, those are were really fun, fun years and a great school, but I ended up um, coming back to Michigan for two reasons. Um, so I had had lived here for um, part of high school. Um, my dad was a professor and, and uh, came to Wayne State University here in the Detroit area. So moved here from a small town in Vermont to um, kind of suburban uh, Metro Detroit. Um, Anyway, that being said, so we came back one because my wife wanted to go into her family business, but the other was, um, as you all know, one of the first 
um, real group of hospitals was PVH or professional veterinary hospitals. Mm -hmm. So I came back in particular to work with Andy Dorcas. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember Andy. Yeah. And so he was not like Mr. Popular in this area <laughs> in particular. I mean, if you knew him, he was, I mean, you loved him or hated him, but um, I came to, in particular, work with him um, and go into management, uh, get some management experience with, um, with the group. About, um, gosh, within three months of joining them, they got bought out by a private equity firm, the Pet Practice, which you mm. may recall. And okay. so all of a sudden, um, my, um, I guess, likelihood of going into management with them you know, was a little bit different because now they had this large, you know, company that owned them. So really the history, I think, of, you know, multi-practice ownership. I mean, I kind of looked at Andy as one of the fathers of group group practice. Was he the, was he kind of the first one that did like corporate, corporate veterinary practice? One of the first, he's the first one I remember. Yeah. I mean, I call it, kind of call him the the father of corporate medicine. That's not a hundred percent true because actually um, VCA started somewhere in the mid eighties. So, I mean, people were, you know, certainly thinking of it, um, but he was in terms of marketing, you know, in some ways a marketing genius. Um, and I mean, from a business standpoint, and mm -hmm. if you talk to him later on in his life, he, his uh, model would be very different, you know, in terms of how he approached the profession, but he was a game changer. Um, and um, so they ended up getting bought by, um, again, it's the pet practice was a um, foster management out of Philadelphia. It was a private equity firm. And so I ended up seeing an ad in our local um, Southeastern Michigan VMA newsletter for practice for seal. And so um, you would remember, you know, Ed, Ed Mapes and uh, Elm Animal Hospital. Yeah. And so for a $10,000 cash advance on my, off my credit card and $57,000 in student debt, I bought a practice nine months out of school. Wow. Um, That's pretty gutsy. Uh, other than like very much money right now, though, it sounds like, oh, that was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> at well, the time, that, was, that was probably that... scary, right? That was just the down payment. I think right. I paid, I might've paid one time's revenue for the practice, but anyway, it was a time when, um, you know, veterinarians, it was not unusual to do a land contract. You know, you, right. you know that was um, pretty typical. And mm -hmm. my deal with him, I started on April 15th of 1995. <laughs> I remember that for tax day, but <laughs> we, um, my deal with him was, uh, it was a $10,000 down payment. I think the practice was, I don't know, it might've been $300,000. I might've overpaid for it. But anyway, it was, um, I had at the end of the year, if I wanted to walk away, I lost the deposit. And if I wanted to, you know, move forward, um, then the practice was mine. And I, I started, you know, my, my payments on it. But uh, um, at the end of the year, so in the beginning of January, I had over $50,000 in the, you know, bank account because I took over total ownership and ran everything um, 
as my own. So my starting salary was 30,000 and I got a $2,500 bonus for my MBA. So 32.5 was my starting salary and having $50,000 of, you know, excess cash in the bank was like, this is a pretty good, you know, pretty good, good deal. Good business, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was out in your neck of the woods, um, kind of the east side of Metro Detroit, right. uh, a different world from Ann Arbor. And my wife's like, you know, that's almost an hour away. And I was like, you know, it's perfect because it's going to force me to do multi-practice ownership. Um, yeah. Because I'm so, going to buy. So let me ask you this. So you yeah. had this practice, like, was it already multiple doctors or was it just you? Um, it was myself and then um, Ed Mapes stayed on okay. with me. So that allowed you to start to think about already getting another practice so because you didn't you weren't working like in the practice yeah time? I, how did that work? I worked probably three and a half days a week I think I did three days okay. and every other every other Saturday yeah um it a three hundred thousand dollar practice was interesting because he had this um I still have it he had a paper like piece of cardboard with each month of how the revenue was like comparing <laughs> for like 10 years um yeah. And so it wasn't, I mean, veterans, I think we're much more business people than, you know, when you own your own business, you know, you, you, you have know, to you, be right. Yeah. And he was a good business person. He just didn't, um, he didn't enjoy clients. And so mm. actually one of the things that he really taught me was to use the team because he wanted to have his minimal time <laughs> client contact. He wanted to be out, out uh, sailing his, his boat. And nice. um, he walked away from the profession. He was a, a smart guy and a good, um, good surgeon, but he walked away pretty early on. I was probably 45. Yeah. Um, so it, it was really what I saw going on in the profession that, you know, some people um, just found it, you know, a challenging profession for various reasons. The, my interest in the um, multiple practice part of it was, um, I, I mean, yeah, I looked at it as a good um, business, but if you recall the, the Beatles song stuck inside this four wall, never see, um, I just thought of, wow, 20, 30, 40 years in a, you know, these clinics, and a lot of them were pretty dated as, as this one was, you know, they were, you know, state-of-the-art facilities. Right. It's a lot of years to, you know, work with nine or 10 people. And so from a social aspect, I was like, I, you know, I really wanted to get out and go to other practices and learn from, you know, other practices. And I saw that as a huge advantage of, of group practice. So, I mean, we were both in the uh, local management group here, mom's management group. And so, yes, you could, um, because it was, you know, such an inclusive group, you could go to someone else's practice and, you know, you could learn procedures, you could, you know, get some business ideas. But that's what I saw with a group of clinics is that you would raise the bar, you know, medicine wise, um, just because everybody shares, you know, best practices ideas, or, or yeah. somebody's really good in surgery and somebody's really good in this. And so you had um, a team and actually the PVH, professional veterinary hospitals, I don't 
know if you knew a lot of their um, kind of uh, it's almost like a faculty, but I mean, it was a, or almost like a fraternity or sorority. We were pretty bonded, the people that worked there, and it really well, did. They kind of start as the one of the in our area anyway. Didn't they kind of start the whole specialty kind of idea, like some specialists that just did orthopedics or, you know, because back in the day, we didn't have those kind of practices. Was PVH one of the first ones that kind of started that? I think they, I you know, had their areas of expertise, but it really was my thing is that, you know, we, um, as a profession, um, we basically, you know, are on our own island. And so... Um, you hope that your medical standards are going to be, you know, very high, but we really have had in the past very little oversight. And so um, I think it's really easy to do the same thing for 20 or 30 years and not necessarily pick up the, the latest and greatest. So when you have a group of eight or 10 hospitals, um, I think it just forces you to, um, you know, be up to speed on, yeah. uh, on what you're doing. And you bring in more new graduates and mentor them. So you just get a whole different spirit, I think, of that process. And so um, I like that. And I like the fact that it um, allowed people to grow. So now all of a sudden you have somebody that's maybe a manager of one hospital and now you need, you know, an area regional manager. So there were just, um, I mean, that's the other thing and talking, going back to that Beatles model of you know, stuck inside these four walls, the career growth opportunities were pretty limited. Um, you know, you with might- single hospitals, With a right? single hospital. Mm -hmm. So those are, are just the things that always made me gravitate towards um, multi-hospital um, um, groups. And, you know, I don't know, again, it might not have been the most popular thing in in this area, but, you know, over time I did end up, um, you know, with 10 or 12 hospitals got involved with owning some Banfield hospitals. And that was a really great education for me as well. I um, had the opportunity. So the founder of Banfield, uh, Scott Campbell, um, we kind of hit it off and he really wanted me to um, move out to Portland, Oregon and, and go to management with them. And I said, I, you know, we're kind of embedded here in Ann Arbor. I had five practices at the time and my wife had little interest of, of moving. Moving to Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a bad place to be. But but anyway, I had the right to all the Banfield locations in, in Michigan, what we finally settled on and um, ended up owning three locations. I was the only because my relationship with, with Scott Campbell is the only one that was allowed to uh, in the history of Banfield to own both Banfields and independent practices. Oh, um, so that was something different. That was really different. They didn't, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, for a while, Banfield franchised the practices so you could be a charter owner. Um, right. And, you know, opening one of those practices was not easy because um, as long as I've been in, in this area, it wasn't, there never seemed like there was an excess of veterinarians. I mean, now, um, you know, it, it's noticeably different, but, you know, at that time to find someone, you know, going back 20, 25 years ago, finding someone to open up a hospital for you on their own, 
um, in a corporate group setting was pretty darn difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, and so it's changed, uh, you know, obviously pretty dramatically. Um, yeah. So one thing you, um, you know, talked about a little bit was, I mentioned with my um, MBA thesis was about supply and demand. And so yeah. talk, my, to me, talk to me about that, because that's happening now in a big way. Yeah. So our, my our demand is so high. Yes. So the um, my thesis uh, and hypothesis was until the we don't have an oversupply, because when I like I showed this slide of the first day of the dean coming in and we were like, you know, aside from everything else, um, the joke in, in uh, Fort Collins at school was you can make more, you know, working in Burger King than you could as a veterinarian if you want to stay in Fort Collins. Well, um, it's kind of that way now with some of the support staff, right? Like yeah, that, that so, seems to be happening. Yeah, but um, so anyway, I basically said, you know, we have this oversupply, which is really bad because it's keeping our salaries, you know, really low. I said until we flip that dynamic and have uh, where there's more demand for veterinary services than there are um, veterinarians, because there's a supply of veterinary services, compensation is not going to go up. And I was, um, you know, again, I had a lot of friends that went to medical school. Um, and so I always felt like um, I didn't want veterinary medicine to, you know, uh, be something where I was like, oh, well, I took a big pay cut from, you know, from, you know, maybe having gone into human medicine. And maybe that was just a practical side to me. I um, actually went into um, a local pediatrician's office and a dental office and spent a couple of days with them, wrote some articles on how similar they are. Yeah. But, but pay was, you know, like a third of, you know, what they made. So I really, you know, wanted, um, you know, us to do better as a profession. And so that supply and demand curve was, um, to me, uh, was part of the issue of too yeah, many so, veterinarians. So what do you think, I mean, you've been working towards it and, and yeah. now you, you're, um, you founded, co-founded Mission Veterinary Partners. What do you think we need to do? Like, cause we still have this problem, right? We have a lot of demand from the public, but, and we don't have a lot of supply of veterinarians. So the, so what do we do? Yeah. So I have an article coming out um, and might not be the most popular one, but it basically is the, um, the undersupply or the shortage of veterinarians and, and um, you know, our team, veterinary team um, is a, um, is a blessing in disguise for it's the a good profession. Thing. Yeah, you know, in a way, I, it, I, I agree very, with you in a way because of the fact that it's the only way that that, that we have to pay more, right? That that they're going to get more it, pay. It's doing ex actually exactly kind of what I um, proposed would happen. And I have an example where um, at the time, if we had 50,000 veterinarians when I graduated, whatever, you know, that were in small animal practice and the, you know, revenue in the veterinary profession was $5 billion, you know, um, we're locked into, you know, making a hundred thousand dollars, so to speak. But if we had 
50,000 veterinarians and, you know, this pie of $10 billion of veterinary revenue, then you would make 200,000. And so that's really what, you know, is starting to happen now. It's very painful for the profession. Um, it's really hard running a group like an MVP or uh, obviously is, you know, so, you know, an independent practice. But what is happening right now is you have two things. You have, um, we have uh, obviously just general inflation uh, for cost of goods um, and running the business. And then we get a double whammy of wageflation. Um, right. So for veterinary practices, it's a challenging time to keep the same margins um, that you, you know, maybe have had in the past, which is a whole other topic I love to talk about, <laughs> understanding <laughs> your bottom line. But yeah. the, um, the part, I mean, what is happening is veterinary salaries are going up um, pretty darn quickly. So... And, and the veterinary staff. Um, so the average starting um, salaries now is about 120,000. Um, mm. And some places might be 140,000. And so- right. And they're, all, is, they're offering a lot of bonuses, signing bonuses and retention bonuses. And that's right. something that individual practices never did. Right. So you have to adjust for inflation and so on. Um, but, and so the starting salary for medical doctor now is 200,000 and we're looking at 120, 140-ish for, you know, um, veterinarians. It creates a lot of problems in some hospitals because um, you have an established veterinarian that, you know, maybe is, you know, making as much as a new, you know, a new grad. Right. Um, one of the things that uh, groups like MVP you know, end up doing, and this was the other part for me, is mentoring, uh, heavy-duty mentoring. So we don't have a model, obviously, like in human medicine, where you go out and do these, you know, uh, two or three-year, you know, internship resident residency things. We do for the specialist, but not for your right. general practitioner. Um, so what we find is that um, if you put the time in and train um, a new graduate, they can, um, in essence, produce sometimes within the first year more than an established veterinarian. So if you learn the proper skills and the efficient ways to, you know, whether it's your, you know, time in the exam room, the confidence to charge appropriately, um, the, you know, proper surgical skills. So you learn, you know, the right ways to do things, you know, in a, you know, efficient manner. Um, and so the salaries that seem, you know, high, especially if you're, you know, an independent, you know, employing a new graduate, um, they're, they're earning their keep. And so, yeah. um, you know, my bar still is, you know, I look at a pediatrician or a, a dentist and say, hey, you know, we're kind of done, you know, you know, there's some similarities there. It would be nice for veterinarians at least to, you know, be compensated somewhere in that, that realm. So what do you say to the veterinarian that says, yeah, we need to make more money. We need to be more efficient. We need to, you know, just do vet med and let the, the team do the rest. What do you say to those people when the clients start pushing back on the prices? Because that's, um, I think, what I hear a lot from my coaching clients. It's like, 
you know, I want to do this great medicine. I want to, I want to charge appropriately so I can make my pro sell or whatever, but the clients just don't see the value or they don't have the money. Like there's, there's a, some kind of difference between when you go to the dentist or the doctor and they charge a certain amount. Like what do you say to those people? So you're hitting on my, uh, next, uh, favorite topic here. Okay, Uh, good. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I just was out at in San Diego for the Fetch DVM conference and did a presentation on this. And so I'll keep it short, but, um, and it's kind of a weird, um, I guess, example, and people may not love it. Um, but I have, <laughs> well, you a have slot- to be a little controversial, yeah. right? That's yeah. part of the deal <laughs> when Especially you're talking about state. money, for sure. Yep. Um, and I'm going to say another huge advantage and not everybody you know uh, loves the corporatization of veterinary medicine um, but I can spat out a lot of good things that it does but one of the things is they're not shy about you know charging appropriately for services um, and so just like the specialty practices for us were you know gave us the confidence to charge more Right. Um, you know, a well-managed group knows what they need to, you know, uh, charge to, you know, be able to keep the doors open and yeah. people paid. But uh, going back to my controversial <laughs> slide is um, it's a, a monkey on the back. Of, uh, you know, so basically, like we have a monkey on our back. And so we are... Um, as a compassionate care that we want to deliver and the things you're talking about, we are uh, basically um, artificially keeping prices low. So we're, the veterinary community is subsidizing, um, you know, the cost of care to keep it so that it can be as affordable as as it can be. Because, Um, because we don't have the because we don't have the guts to do it because we're too well, compassionate. Like, what do you think the bottom? I think it. What is it? I think it's a it's a blend. So I basically, um, in this tiered slide, it starts with compassionate care um, makes us charge be low cost, and that's not like a, your traditional low cost veterinary clinic. But right. we keep the cost down so that we find the sweet spot where you know we can get most of what we need done. The problem is what is the appropriate fees? And, you know, that's a huge question, you know, I've gotten, you know, over time and, and people always ask, you know, what should our prices be? Um, and I give just this generalized definition, our fees should be such, assuming we're running a somewhat, you know, efficient business that our veterinary team is paid appropriately. So the doctors and the, uh, and the staff. And so human medicine, you know, it seems ungodly that, you know, how can you, you know, uh, we're just talking about, you know, a dermatologist, ophthalmologist, you know, they basically sign up for how many days a week do they want to work in, in human medicine. And how and much do they want to make? And then they Well, each prices. day is $100,000 or now it's like $120,000, you know, so they could work three days and, you know, they just kind of pick that out. Right. What we, so um, so their fees are, you know, uh, you know, based on that. So I think for us, we have, um, we've kept things where, in a sense, we've, I don't want to say we've 
maybe the, our, our clients, but bottom line is I'm a huge proponent of, um, you know, how do we help finance and budget care? So it's wellness plans and it's insurance. And I believe we're at this, I call it a cost of care threshold where um, the prices are such that um, our clients basically, and they're smart enough and then it gets into generational, they need to take some responsibility and start um, budgeting out their care. And so that might be, okay, let us do a monthly subscription. So, you know what, I can't pay you $500 right now, but I can pay you $50 a month. Right. Um, also, I'm a big cyclist, so I give this um, analogy. It's not, you know, um, if you're a bike rider, it's not um, if you're going to fall off your bike, it's when you're going to fall off your bike. And so, <laughs> Don't tell me that. I haven't, <laughs> fall, I haven't fallen yet. <laughs> okay, I've got a broken collarbone right here for mine. Oh, um, no. but, but anyway, so, you know, if you're a pet owner, your pet is going to, you know, um, have yeah, some type of urgent and emergency sure. care, and it's really expensive. So now you get into a generation where um, the Gen X and Gen Z, um, you know, they really, um, you know, forever we've said, no, you know, my pet's like a kid and I'll do whatever, but these guys exemplify it. And so they want the best care um, and they will do almost anything for that, but they also don't have the deepest pockets. And so um, they're the perfect audience that will, I think, help us segue into pet insurance, which if you look on the sidelines, there's about 30, 30 different pet insurance companies. Mm -hmm. We're only right now like 2.7% of pet owners have insurance, but it's gone up like 30% a year. I think we're going to turn that corner here over the next three to five years, where it's going to become much more um, popular. And so, as veterinarians, we should be pro insurance. Um, it's you think the that's only, going to be good for us? I think it'll be wonderful. It's wonderful for the pet. We're not right. going to get into. I mean, uh, why? I don't. I think veterans got over the thing of oh, I don't want it to be like the you know how in human medicine insurance is you know kind of weird i don't see us um getting to that stage just because of the laws of how insurance right, is right. but um the bottom line is most of us don't have five or ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars when your pet you know gets sick and it might just be you know some minor you know it needs to be in the hospital for three days well that's not an inexpensive stay Right. And so I think that um, the prices really, I think, regardless of anything, are going to go up. And so I think we're just at that divide where budgetary, you know, um, you know, making it affordable by budgeting it out is going to be huge. And there's a lot of companies now. Uh, my um, cousin works for a big law firm here in, in Michigan. And they, you know, every two weeks, they take out 10 or 15 bucks from your paycheck if you want to um, participate in, you know, pet insurance. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, what I they, think the corporations do, too. Some of the veterinary yeah. corporations have that as a benefit. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is a great perk these companies can do for their, um, you know, for their team members, workers. Um, so they can go to, you know, whether it's wellness plan or um, 
pet insurance or the combo, they can go and negotiate a 10 or 15% discount. And I mean, it's actually pretty, you know, um, inexpensive, you know, for these policies. I think that um, one of the problems why it hasn't taken off so much in this country. Now in Europe, it's like, you know, they've had pet insurance for well over a hundred years. Lots of Europe, it's 50, 75%. They wouldn't think of not having pet insurance. Right. What happened in this country to some degree is that the um, the media has some, you know, has poo-pooed it in, in some ways saying, well, oh my gosh, you know, if you, you know, saved your $50 a month, you know, you might come out ahead. Well, the idea is, you know, maybe your pet doesn't get sick, but we're going to, you know, what you're trying to do is basically pay it forward. And so I think the media has, has hurt us a lot um, in that aspect in terms of not promoting it. Um, And, but vendors, I think have gotten over that fact. And what we found is it's a heck of a lot easier to, market a wellness plan to your client than to um, sell them on, you know, health insurance. And, but that's not our role. I think, you know, you pick one or two policies and maybe have some information on it. But at the end of the day, you know, our teams are a heck of a lot happier when, you know, it may be a systotomy, you know, at your clinic, but, um, you know, if the you know, you obviously never want to put a pet down for something like that or put off that type of procedure. But, you know, now that that client doesn't have to think about cost, you know, we get those things done uh, much quicker. But the other point I was going to mention that hurt the pet insurance is um, you need to get it when a pet is young, you know, so at a puppy. Right, right. Age. I think, a lot so of I think that's think the other bad that. PR that it had gotten is that, oh, you know what, I, my dog will appreciate and now I want insurance. Well, no, they're not going to be, you know, allow you to, you know, get insurance, you know, after the fact. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's a big factor is start young, you know, I mean, once your dog's got allergies and then you go to them, you know, the insurance company. So late, they right? have to, you know, the insurance companies have to um, be profitable too. And so I think working that dynamic, but anyway, so prices, um, I think, um, you know, will need to go up to adjust. I mean, if you're, you know, your individual, you know, veterinary hospital and you're all of a sudden, you know, paying a new grad, you know, amounts that seem, you know, not doable, um, you know, you're going to have to charge appropriately. And yes, so it is, it's a, it's a emotional struggle, as you said, because we want to um, take care of that client. Well, how do you take care of them is, you know what, here's the, you know, I can't keep my prices down forever. And I kind of say compassion fatigue is um, basically, you know, killing us and the pets. So yeah, talk just a lot that about, fighting about those kind of things. And if we yeah, just solve that, it sucks the, a lot of the joy out of it. Um, right. And that's your burnout. But it also, um, what ends up happening, there's economic euthanasia, a popular term, but I talk about economic denial of care. So how many of our pets do we go on to option, you know, B, C, and D? And, you know, okay, you know, a lot of things might get, you know, better over time, but, you know, are they getting the ideal care? So there's a lot of, you know, proper medicine that, you know, we're not able to do. And as you said, that 
you know, that takes a lot out of, you know, the veterinary team not being able to do it. So, so let um, me ask, let me ask you this, and it's kind of a little bit of off this topic, but so when you're talking to the younger veterinarians that are just coming into the profession and they're, you know, getting this $120,000 salary, but they still feel overworked and underappreciated. The same thing with the technicians. I think the technician salaries have definitely gone up, but I think they need to be far higher than they are. What do you tell these people from a standpoint of the future of the profession? Like, should we be optimistic? My focus is to keep them in vet med because it's been so good to me and it's obviously been very good to you. But what what would you tell them? Like, what what should they think about in order to be optimistic and, you know, that, that we have a future that's great in vet med? Yeah. Um, it, I think it's, and having a chance to be on a few different, you know, veterinary boards and so on and talking about these issues, COVID has just created this, you know, overworked mentality, you know, and it's almost like a psyche. And, you know, we joke about it, but, um, you know, it's hard to find, and it's not just this profession, but um, most people, um, veterinarians, you know, 30, 35 hours a week is, you know, enough, <laughs> you know, right. they all burnt out. Yeah, people you know, don't want to work that. 50 hours a week like we used to, right? Right. So, <laughs> but and I don't blame but, them because I don't want to either anymore. I don't right. do it anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, just to, I think, culturally we've changed and it's probably better work-life balance um but that's really hard right you um you've got large student debt you've got so the you know you think okay you know whatever your first five years you know trust it and work uh you know a heck of a lot more more hours <clears throat> but um that's not really you know what people want to hear and so um I think the future um, for the profession is bright because we are obviously compensation is going up. I think there's, um, you know, the mentoring uh, and getting up to speed, I think is, is there, obviously it depends on the person and, and the practice, um, but we're, I think get better at getting people to be, you know, better producers you got to earn your keep one way you know it Efficient. is a business. yeah like and just so, learning those skills on how, right. to, how so, to speak to people and how to win clients trust and like that's all important right yeah um so i think you know look the facilities are getting a lot nicer the compensation is you know is improving obviously you're not working 50 60 hours so there's a lot of positives like that right. then what ends up happening is that and this is part of the drain of veterinarians too is you know so you have there's mvp but there's a lot of groups right and mm -hmm. so the career opportunities we provide for people allows i think less burnout because maybe after 10 years um you know you want to do like you know you're into the leadership thing so mm -hmm. these opportunities in the organizations are pretty phenomenal which you can right get involved with so you can get involved in mentoring you can get involved in management so um there's a lot of new opportunities and some of those are um you know uh, just really good jobs so i when i look at some people that have worked with you know myself maybe 20 25 years 
Um, some have gone from technician to really high level management positions where, you know, they're making $200,000 plus, you know, right, right, so yeah. that wasn't happening for a technician before, you right. know. Um, yeah, so I think there's um, a lot of different um, career opportunities within the profession now. So that I think is really healthy. The challenge, I think, too, just to from a little bit on the financial side and how do you make things work is for doctors like um, yourself, myself, when you own a practice, you had three kind of, you know, uh, income streams. You had your production as a doctor, you had the profit of the business. And if you owned your own real estate, um, you know, ultimately that became, um, you know, pretty valuable too. And so now you take, you know, a doctor out of that and you have to figure out a way, how do we, you know, make them whole in a sense, just, you know, practicing, you know, medicine. And so it's, you know, that is a challenge, but as I said, there's a lot of different um, opportunities um, within the career, and then also um, the ability in the these bigger practices, like the focus on so five, six doctor practice doing multiple millions. You know, now it's pretty conceivable you can produce a million dollars, uh, you know, a year in in these type of clinics. And so we used to talk about, you know, the five hundred thousand dollar doctor or maybe the two hundred fifty thousand revenue. Um, so with good production, um, you know, you can make a you know a decent um, compensation just as as being a doctor but the other thing um that you'll see with the groups is we are going to again supply and demand is, is good we're gonna have to partner with veterinarians to own hospitals so um as so we so you're, you're talking like if somebody is young and they want to be an owner rather than buying it themselves they can partner with a corporation and and have that ownership model but with a little a backup Right. So skin in the game, you know, right. so we need to, you know, there's an area that needs a new hospital um, and, you know, it's just kind of neat to see it. You, um, you find the leaders within, you know, the practice, you provide leadership training. Um, so you get some of your, you know, people that um, basically are meant to lead and, and to run a practice. And so it's pretty easy to say, okay, you know, um, go and build this practice for us. And a lot of times it's sweat equity. You know, you can own 10 or 20, 25% of this and ensuring the profits of it and, and so on. So, yeah. so there's, think, so if it's, if owning your own place, hundred percent is too scary, you can tiptoe in a little bit with the corporations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah, a lot of, I different, think that's a great opportunity for sure. Yeah. So it's a changing dynamic. I think there's a lot of um, really, um, great opportunities. I think the, the future is bright. There's a, you know, there's a lot of pain points here that we're working through, but I think the, um, the power behind the groups, I think is paving the way um, to create some new opportunities. You can talk about mid-level practitioners that I think we'll start seeing. Yes, yeah, um, that's gonna have and, to happen. Yeah, so it is, I mean, it's difficult, but I'm also a fan of independent ownership and you can do great with that too. So I think the more um, mentoring and support and and um, also just the, 
you know, focus on, you know, the veterinarian's own health and wellness, you know, those are all, you know, positive uh, things. So I think it's um, going to be a, a good future. I think the other thing is, I think society, and this was a supply and demand thing, now we, you know, see how much clients value our, our services. Yeah, um, so much, right? Yeah, like, so. Uh, they get angry when they can't get in, which is, we think well, it's a terrible thing, but actually it's kind of good. It means, it means they love us and they want to get in and they need to get in. And yeah, right. so that's, so, that's interesting. Yep. So those are all, you know, definitely um, positive things. So I know we've got about an, an hour yeah, here. We're, just, we we're, covered, we're going on an hour. So, yeah. so let's kind of try to wrap it up a little bit. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you're like, oh, I wish we would talk about this that we could talk about briefly? Yeah, but we, we covered to... a lot, and I have a I have a ton of things I could still ask you, so we could always do this again. Yeah, I would love to do a um, you know a a part two because I you know okay feel in terms of um, a lot of the questions you had, but you know we got to go off on some different tangents. But mm-hmm. um, there's so much. I think like you, in terms you of a... you start out, I think asking about you know um, my background and how it kind of, you know, uh, am where I am. So we talked a little bit of, you know, got some of that story out there. Right. But not all of it for sure. Yeah. I hopefully, um, you know, I wasn't on, on the soapbox too much because like yourself, you know, we get really passionate about these. (laughs) Well, we're both very passionate about veterinary medicine (laughs) and that, and that's cool. Like we both love that. We love the business of it and we love the people in it, you know, that's all really important. Yeah. So it's in, in transition, but I think it's, yeah. in a, you know, it's in a healthy spot and uh, it's just really different than even 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. And I think if people, um, whether it's new, newer comers to the profession or, you know, uh, independent practice owners, I think, um, uh, tying that into this and how it, you know, can work for everybody is, is good. Cause I think, um, yeah, people are a lot more accepting of, of corporate in, in one way or another, if we want to use that word, I like group practice. Um, but I think um, it uh, works well, I think with the diversity. And so yeah. I'm not, you know, like, you know, corporates got to take over everything and, and so on. I think there's a nice, nice mix. And so I like to, you know, talk about those opportunities as well. Okay. Well, let's, we'll schedule another time to get together and we'll do another hour. Okay. Because be there's great. so many more things I could talk to you about. I've got gobs of questions, but I really do appreciate your time. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate um, everything you're doing with Mission Veterinary Partners and trying to make the profession better. And I want, I want to hear about that too. So because I know I know quite a bit about that group, but I don't know everything. So I'd love to hear more about that. So if you agree to come back, we'll set something up. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the opportunity to um, meet with you virtually. Yeah, it's and, fun. Um, yeah, and it's fun, obviously, because we share, um, you know, a lot of background together. Yeah, um, so yeah, we've known each a, other a lot of years, right? Yeah, so it's been a... <laughs> uh, pleasure. Um, yeah, it's been great. This is, this is Dr. Jeff Rothstein, and he is part of Mission Veterinary Partners, and he's an author, and he's got articles all over the place in veterinary economics and all the things. So if you want to check out more, 
can they look you up on like LinkedIn or go to the mission website or how could people? Yeah. Um, uh, I will um, send you, I mean, email addresses. Um, okay. Is, well, you can look me up with that later and I'll yeah, put, I'll it, send you I'll the put it in the show notes. Okay. That'll yeah. be great. Okay. And then we'll talk again. Okay. Thanks so much Thank for having me. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Okay. Everybody yeah, have yeah. a beautiful week in Batman. Bye. Okay. Thanks for what you're doing, Julie. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for Appreciate being here. It. Yeah. Bye. Bye.